this one today, inspired by yesterday's men's fellowship, is going to be the growing church, not the groaning church. Okay? The growing church, not the groaning church. And it really is a privilege and pleasure when we get to link together as eternal family members and when it really is a pleasure to gather. And I find that on Sundays, it's a pleasure to gather. You guys are awesome. We want to talk about some principles in the Word that helps magnify the growth of the church, minimizes the groaning of the church. Oh, we groan. You've probably stubbed your toe coming out the door to get to church. You've misplaced your keys and Bibles. That happens all the time to me. But it's the attitude in that moment that we want to be encouraged to not let overwhelm us. We're going to look at some principles on that. And then what is it if two grumpy people run into each other at church? Do you share the grumps? Or do you share the goodness and grace of God? There's a principle in that as well. I know it's a little bit hot in here, and so if I could get somebody to crack a door over there and get some ventilation here, that would be great. Because I know my voice puts people to sleep. I want to encourage you not to do that. If you would, turn to Psalm 127. I'm going to open up there. 127. Psalm 127. Zach, I'm just curious. And John, you can edit this out later. The drone's gone. Did you do something? No? Could it be the heating system? Could be. I have one guy going, mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, it went away. Okay. Oh, I was hoping you had an answer, but it's the heating system. And by the way, the Lord has been good to us. And out of the entire area of Brookings, there's only one fly that the Lord has allowed to pester us. And he's going to get caught right there. You see it? There's no pestilence. Just one fly just to keep you on your face. That's actually not a fly catcher. It's taking temperature readings. (laughs) I thought that would be funny. Lord, we ask for your blessings that as we consider your word... And as we make application of it to our lives, Lord, just allow it to translate in who we are, what you've purposed for us to be, to be those who are really just living in the Spirit and so aware of your presence that anything that's a distraction Anything, Lord, that provokes within these body systems at times, temperaments, we want to give that to you. We want to celebrate uh, our lives in Christ, and we really do want to be those who enjoy one another while our tenure is on this earth, that we might be beautifully tuned for the choir in heaven. Thank you for hearing us. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 127 you're familiar with. It's a great passage, and I chose to anchor really just this insight right now for today's study. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. 
Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, and to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. So this is a very important one, and we would obviously say whom it is credited to would know this. This psalm is credited with Solomon. His father was the inspiration behind the satisfaction of this work. It was really upon David's heart to build God a house of worship. And God would say to him very lovingly, I've never complained about where it is I am. Never asked for anything from any of you. I was quite comfortable in camping out with you, tenting with you. But David's heart was that there'd be something special, a residency for God that was different than the skins and the poles, the ropes, the things that were outdoor furnishings. But you know what camping's like. I mean, once you do tenting and you get into that trailer or that motor home, you kind of go, what was I thinking? Because stuff just sticks to you when you're tenting and camping. It just does. The other is like luxury. And David wanted something luxurious for God, something that was just a mark of a man's heart who followed after God, but they could call attention to the glory of God. And the Lord's answer to David was that you can't build it, but you can get all of the resources for it. I hear your heart, David. I love you for that. God was demonstrating in that statement that it wasn't wrong for David to ask, but he couldn't have the building of the church be in a violation of how David ultimately was required as a king to be. He was a warrior king. And so the things that David would have been involved in in combat, mortal combat, blood spilled, could not presuppose nor subordinate the greater David, Jesus, who would come. Everything about the temple that was put on David's heart to build needed to be constructed by a man who would come filled with peace. And this would ultimately be his son. So I simply would say that on that note, God's heart is still today to have himself magnified in a very special way. And I will say this, you're one of the best, most exceedingly expensive furnishings that God could ever place in what we call the church. For us, it would be likened to the temple, but God says something else. In his word, we have become the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're literally the walking agency of God in bringing glory to himself in the day-to-day -day activities of connecting with humanity. It would have been an amazing place to see the temple. It could be seen from miles, the gold that was used to crown it. 
And yet the Lord would say, I've spared no expense in how I've made you. Equally so you shine. And everything about your life is indeed reflective of your heart for me. Most importantly, my heart for you. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who try it all. And therefore, in one of the principles we see is that we can be in church, but we can't yet necessarily experience the true dynamic presence of God if, in fact, we're building our own house and not his. You see, a lot of us can get distracted and we can get caught up with culture. God knew that. He anticipated it. He always said, by virtue of the tabernacle that Moses would build, I want your tribes to be close to me. And I want this to be fundamental and foundational to how well you do as you make your pilgrimage with me. In other words, you're coming into a relationship with me. Nothing else has a greater priority than that unless the Lord builds the house you're laboring in vain who try it all. So one of the things that we've endeavored to encourage in the church here is reading through the Bible. And many of us are on lap four or five whenever we started it. And it's awesome. The other thing that we also know is important is our Bible studies. Benefits to being in the Word of God. Listening to men who handle the Word. And there's also been excellent teachings for the sisters as well. Christy's done an amazing job in giving out the Word of God that we might, what, be built up as a holy habitation for God. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain at all. So what happens is that a lot of people get caught up into the structural part of a church, but they don't want the renovation of their lives. But unless that is something that becomes agreeable from a man, a woman, a child, to say, Lord, I, I've tried to build my house. I've, I've had visions of what I think would be the ideal, and it's not ideal. I'm not really doing so well. I'm hitting my thumb most of the time, mismeasuring frequently, and I'm not seeing a lot of progress on what I thought I wanted. So I say that because even in our culture today, it can be simply the edifice of spirituality, the structure. I am thrilled to be in this structure. I've been in larger structures. I'm thrilled to be in this structure. 60 feet to the wall there, approximately 100 feet from width to width, about 6,000. I'm so thrilled to be in this. I've been in a lot bigger but I'm not saying I've been in a lot more spiritual places. You can have big and not better, and you can have small and be great. And the reason that that's important is because it is, as God seems to so desire, it's free will as to how great 
you want to be in a small place. How great do you want to be? Be as great as God is. What does it take? A desire to spend your life with him. When we spend our life with him and our motivation is, in fact, to be everything that he's purposed, we get to see incredible things. If everything were honestly documented in what has been done by God, and now, this month, this is the second, this would be the second uh, year moving into it that we've been here, May is the clock-in date, May 1st. But this would be right now our eighth year, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, something like that. That's incredible what God has done. And he's done it. I know, I think, every one of you, but what I would desire is that we all get to know God even better than our relationships with one another, but not to be separated from our relationships with one another. Unless the Lord builds the house, his house, we labor in vain who try it all. So the component parts is this. Celebrate what God has allowed us to enjoy, but also have a willing, yielding heart to the joy that God takes in fashioning us. He's still an architect. We can put paint on this, different paint. We can do a lot of different things. But the encouragement that I believe I'm to say, even to myself, I want God to renovate me. I want, to go, I want God to put his special hand in the things that please him about my life because I don't want my life to be in vain and I don't want even this place to have any semblance of vanity to it. That's what Psalm 127 is about. Solomon's not going to have a stellar life. He started off strong, but then he lost a focus. He got distracted by the culture that actually he was to change. He found himself corrupted by the things that we as well can be corrupted in. And he would live to pen a book about the vanities of life in Ecclesiastes. He would ultimately look back and say, I've squandered a majority of my life, but I say to the youth right now, this is the chief thing that you fear God. Fear God. Let me take you to a church that God says excels. So go to Revelation, if you would. And as we go to Revelation, also mark on your paper or in your Bible, Exodus 2540. It's really simple. In 2540, it simply says this, according to the pattern, do this. There's a pattern that God has established in the church and in your life. And if you follow the pattern, you're going to experience blessings. Right? We all have a pattern in our life. We all start off our morning and conclude our day in a pattern. And all it takes to prove that is somebody getting in the way of you and your pattern. Right? And if they do, you'll realize it's just not the same. Sometimes God says, yeah, I'm going to change this, but guess who's authoring that? 
God. When God authorizes the changes in your life, the pattern, guess what? That's the plan. The new pattern is the new plan. And if God authorizes it, you have no problem. But it's when other things get in the way of your heart for God, and you all of a sudden say, I'm going to change the pattern. Problems happen. Let's see what he says to the church in Philadelphia, which is inspired from yesterday's teaching. We really had a Philadelphia encounter yesterday, a, a gathering of brothers who indeed showed the love of God. Extraordinary. But this is the mark of such a church that kept the pattern that God says, if you keep, you're going to be blessed, and you're going to be so marked. Out of the two churches that can be read about, one is a persecuted church, Smyrna. Philadelphia would have experiences like that, but the difference is that this church is being extolled for being a loving church. I've heard that time and time again of the mark of love that is recognized with all of you. This is what chapter 3, verse 7 says, And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength. Have kept my word and have not denied my name. It's interesting that in that phrasing as we close on that verse, you have a little strength. Do you know how many people work for a lot of strength? You know, we, there's nothing wrong with exercise. There's nothing wrong with authority. But in a church, God actually extols. He actually compliments the church that has a little strength. Because when you have a little strength, what do you need most of? A lot of God. You need God abundantly, overwhelmingly. Isn't it the time of our weaknesses that we realize, Lord, I can't do this without you? When we're strong, when we're no longer infirmed, guess what we begin to feel? Like power brokers of the world. We begin to feel like we're superheroes, and we don't need as much of God as we did when we weren't suffering, when we weren't in affliction, when we didn't have it all. The pattern is, is that it's okay to be dependent upon God, but it's not okay to be independent from God, and this is what is being complimented right now. You have a little strength, but when a church has a little strength and they have a whole lot of God, there's nothing that God will not do through them, through it, through you and I. That's why the world doesn't get it. How do you guys do what you do? How do you come out of the situations that you've been brought into? And we simply can say, I just have a little strength, but I have a big God. He's an all-powerful God. He's an all-knowing God. There's nothing that dissuades him. He opens doors for me. He shuts doors for me. 
He keeps the enemy at bay and cannot touch me. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Sometimes Satan gets far too much credit. The Lord's acknowledging the work of Satan. But this is saying that a church that's operating according to the pattern, you as individuals, members of his body, you don't need to fear Satan. Satan will bow at the feet of the Lord. And there's nothing that he can do that will take out the empowerment that the Lord God has given to the church. That's an encouragement for us. You've kept my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trials which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And in verse 11, it says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Oh, fast what you have that no one may take your crown. And this is what the Philadelphia church did. It just held fast to the things of God, to the things that are right to that which pleases the Lord and the pattern that we don't break. Moses's command given back in that text of scripture in Exodus 25, 40, in the reception of the law, the 10 commandments are coming right now. He's being told what will happen in this beautiful work of building a tabernacle of God in the wilderness. And all along, God's saying, keep the pattern, according to the pattern, according to the pattern, according to the pattern. Because in chapter 32, seven chapters later, do you know what happens? They decided not to keep the pattern. Moses went up to be with the Lord for 40 days, and all of a sudden they said, huh, I'm thinking there's a new sheriff in town. I'm thinking there's a new groove. It didn't work out well for them. It never works out well for us when, when God says, I like it this way, I delight in your way, and there then becomes, oh, it's just time for something new. You will never go wrong in the simplicity of understanding doctrine, reading and studying your Bible, and praying with consistency. You may not feel powerful when you pray, that it's really not effectual as you do it, but your righteousness is not your own. Your righteousness is in Christ Jesus, which means any prayer in him is very accomplished, very effectual, powerful. Let's continue to be a church that prays, reads our Bibles. I'm still an advocate and a fan for leather which binds these pages between it. And I encourage you to continue having your Bibles. I understand the phone technology. That's great, very convenient. But I also say there's a statement that can be made when you've got something between your hands. No one's going to confuse this for a cell phone. But I can say, 
Well, actually, it kind of is like a phone. It connects me with God on every page. His calls always come through. I never get disconnected. I never have to scream at the phone plan. The data is just unbelievable. My faith grows, my knowledge and understanding of him. Let me take you to what as well inspired me yesterday on this. We were in 1 Timothy, excuse me, 2 Timothy. Turn there, please, very quickly. 2 Timothy, and we were beyond this point, but this is what the Lord grabbed my heart with. In the second chapter of 2 Timothy, beginning at verse 23, this tells us the disposition that we ought to have according to the pattern. This tells us what happens when there is a challenge in our personal lives with others. And this helps us to be able to say, hmm, I want to change that. It says avoid foolish and ignorant disputes knowing that they generate strife. Do you know what they had back in Moses' day? when Moses was taking down all of the data that God was giving him, there were disputes that were happening by foolish people that were ignorant of the things that God wanted to have done and not compromised. And what did it do? It generated strife. This is what it tells us a servant, which by the way, Moses was credited as being, and as a result, all of God's people are called servants. This is what it says. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. We have different personalities. We do. We can express things that perhaps have a little bit more drama than is necessary. The Lord is working on us in how to speak. I know this, that grace always works. And I know this, he can govern how the true word the insight, the correction needs to be given. If you pray, he'll do it. It keeps us from hurting hearts unnecessarily, and it keeps our heart tuned in with God as he administrates. Why? He's interested in that tabernacle. He's interested in that temple where his spirit resides. He's interested in bringing people closer to him, not repelling them. And so must be one who does not quarrel, gentle to all, able to teach, patient. Verse 25, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. See, there is an opposition in the human nature. We can oppose, really, God's heart. And that's what's voiced here. But if we are depending upon the Lord, and our desire is to really express in humility his will, then God has an opportunity to change that person. And I like what that says. For what? Repentance. That means just turning from their way and turning to God for his way. Essentially, that's what it boils down to. That they may come to their senses. That's so like us, isn't it? We're senseless. And God says, yep, 
That's what sin does. It makes people senseless. And so we want people to come to their senses. We want everything about their senses to be heightened. What they see in their life, the things that they ought not see in their life, the things that they hear, more importantly, the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing from the Word of God. We want people to hear. We want people to have the fragrance of not rot and putrefaction, which are the consequences of sin, but the fragrance of Jesus, the beauty of the floral scent of the heavenlies. We want to see that they escape the snare of the devil because it says, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Some so easily are ensnared and become captive of the devil to do his will. How do you have a growing church and not a groaning church? You live like Jesus and you personify him. And there's no reason that we can't be that way because if he's in us by his spirit, he's not going to contradict his nature. The only contradiction of his nature is by our willfulness and not wanting to be more and more like him. It will have a difference, but you can't deny it when you run into people in their differences, and yet everything that you see about them says, Jesus. You just can't deny it. This was a verse that, at any rate, came to my attention yesterday. Zip over with me to Philippians for another classic area of doctrine that you might be a growing church, the house of God. Unless the Lord builds your house, you're going to labor in vain trying at all to do anything that pleases him whatsoever. And I like Philippians because in chapter 2 it gives us some practical advice. Penning this, Paul writes, Fulfill my joy, in verse 2, by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Don't let politics tear you apart. We need to be those who pray for those who have authority over us in the governance of our land. And sometimes we can just blow it. I believe that you can honestly have a zeal for a candidate and not be less of a Christian. But unless you pray and you ask God to give you eyes to see who has his heart, then we can miss. And we can miss in such a way in which the ones who ought not be governing over us should not be governing over us. But it's because God raises up one, puts down another. Raises one up, puts down another. And politics today is a hotbed that can cause great dissension. And if you read the Word of God, you'll know based on principle and doctrine whom God's choices, whom has the heart of the Father.
for the things that the Father wants accomplished. Not simply America the Great, but God, the great God over all creation, over the world that he made. And so Philippians is just classic. One accord, one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Today, enemies may be made based on who wins, who loses. But the Bible here is telling us we're to esteem others better than ourselves. Not get steamed at them. It's just a game. Let yourself esteem another person better than yourself, even if for their sake you have to cheer for their team in humility, maybe humiliation. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. God doesn't say you can't have interests of your own, but you're also to be mindful of the interests of others, which require at times for you to yield. Love Philippians for its practical instruction to us in the word. And in closing, jump over to Hebrews. See, you're getting a lot of opportunity right now to just get familiar with your Bible. But I'm going to pick this up in Hebrews chapter 10. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, who is our high priest? The Lord is over what house? The house of God. This totally fits this billet of who he is and who we are. It's his house. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed by pure water. We drink as pure water as we can buy or filter at home, but the word of God is likened as the washing of the water by the word. And we're to do that as couples, as individuals. It's a cleansing bath. And the spirit, even as water, cleanses our soul. This is done to do what? Address the evil conscience. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. What are you to do? Hold fast your confession according to the pattern. Don't change your opinion about God. Don't allow culture to change your opinion about God. He has the right to tell you who he is, and he has the authority to see that you respect and honor what he's done. So we stay true to that. And in closing this verse, love it, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not to stir up patriotism, not to stir up athleticism, but it says to stir up love and good works. 
when you inspire somebody to love God as they once did, to love God as perhaps they never have committed to, this is the mark of one whose temple is furnished by God, God in residence with them, and you're changing lives. And guess what? Those lives aren't changing you in terms of where they were. You're changing them where they ought not be. And it says this, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another as so much the more as you see the day approaching. Never feel embarrassed about inviting anyone to the house of God. Know that that one invitation that you put in their ear by a direct call, by a casual handshake, could be the life-changing decision that was made because you reached out and you brought them in. And when you see a church grow, you need to understand that's precisely what's happening. The phone call that's been made, the letter that's been written, the breakfast or lunch or dinner or the hospitality that you show them in your home, these are the things that you can say has been according to the pattern, according to doctrine, that God's house might be what? A growing house. And to diminish the evidence or any trace of selfish ambition, false humanity, the lying of the devil, to bring you, this work, into groaning. Oh no, not them. And people leave because of that. You want to make not an effort, but actually simply a resignation that God will effectually and effortlessly move through you as you simply say, don't want to do it in vain, Lord. Furnishing is yours. You pick the colors. You pick the upholstery. You pick the placement. Renovate me. I'm yours. Because I don't want to contribute to groaning. I want to contribute to growing. And in Jesus' name, there you go.